Section 8 of Reminiscences of a Southern Hospital by its Matron by Phoebe Yates Pember. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. There was now a great difference perceptible in the manner of living between Virginia and the more southern states. Even in the best and most wealthy houses in Richmond, many everyday comforts had become luxuries and had been dispensed with early in the war further south they still sent to nassau for what they needed taking the risk of blockade running tea and coffee were first dispensed with at the capital then many used corn flour exclusively wheat was so high gradually butter disappeared from the breakfast table and even brown sugar when it reached twenty dollars a pound shared the same fate but further south no such economy appeared necessary the air of the people in the cars and around the railroad stations was at that time hopeful and courageous to an extreme there was no fear ever expressed even as late as this as to the ultimate success of the southern cause the hospitals though did not compare with those i had left either in arrangement cleanliness or attendance long before this the matrons places in virginia had been filled with ladies of the very first class of life but this had been the case alone in virginia and such supervision made a very great difference as may be supposed during my absence all the patients left a month before had either recovered or died so that it was irksome to resume my usual duties a few days visiting rectifying this however the happiest person to see me was miss g as she resigned the key of the liquor closet with a sigh that spoke volumes from what could be gathered she had been equal to the occasion and summoned determination to suit the exigencies of her position though naturally of a very gentle yielding nature the health of the army was now so good that except when the wounded came in there was but little to do that terrible scourge pneumonia so dreadful in its typhoid form had almost disappeared the men had become hardened and inured to exposure christmas passed pleasantly the hospital fund from the depreciation of the money being too small to allow us to make any festive preparations the ladies of the city drove out in carriages and ambulances laden with good things the previous year we had been able to give out of our own funds a bowl of eggnog and slice of cake to every man in the hospital as well as turkey and oysters for dinner but times were now more stringent just after new year one of the committee on hospital affairs in congress called to see me wishing to get some information on the subject before any appropriation had been made for whiskey for the ensuing year there were doubts afloat as to whether the benefit conferred upon the patients by the use of stimulants counterbalanced the evil effects it produced upon those surgeons 
who were in the habit of making use of them it was a hard question to answer particularly as a case in point had just come under my observation a man had been brought into our hospital with a crushed ankle the cars having passed over it it had been dressed and put in splints before he was sent to us so the surgeon in attendance ordered that he should not be disturbed the nurse came over to say in a few hours that the man was suffering intensely he had a burning fever but complained of the fellow leg instead of the injured one the common idea of sympathy was suggested and a narcotic given which failed in producing any effect on my second visit he induced me to look at it and finding the foot and leg above and below the splints perfectly well the natural thought suggested itself of examining the other it was a most shocking sight swollen inflamed and purple the drunken surgeon had set the wrong leg the pain produced low fever which took a typhoid form and the man eventually died with this instance still fresh in my memory it was hard to give an opinion however the appropriation was made the poor fellow was the most dependent patient i ever had and though entirely uneducated won his way to my sympathies by his entire helplessness and dependence upon my care and advice no surgeon in the hospital could persuade him to swallow anything in the shape of food unless he first sent for and consulted me and a few soothing words or an encouraging nod would satisfy and calm him his ideas of luxuries were very peculiar and his answer to my daily inquiries as to what i should give him to eat was invariably the same he would like some scribbled eggs and flitters this order was carried out till the surgeon prescribed stronger food and though beefsteak was substituted he always called it by the same name leading me to suppose that scribbled eggs and flitters was a generic term for food generally i made him some jelly confederate jelly with the substitution of whiskey for madeira wine and citric acid for lemons but he said he did not like it there was no chewing in it and it all went he did not know where so there was no use trying to tempt his palate it was very awkward visiting the wards upon my return before this the departure of old patients and the arrival of new was hardly noticeable as there were always enough men left to whom i was known to make me feel at home and to inform the last comers why i came among them and what my duties were i now found the hospital filled with a very superior set of men virginia cavalrymen and many of the maryland infantry they were not as considerate as my old friends had been and rather looked with suspicion upon my daily visits one man amused me particularly keeping a portion of his food every day for my particular and agreeable inspection 
as he thought and my particular annoyance as i felt everything unpalatable was deposited under his pillow awaiting my arrival and the greeting given was invariably do you call that good bread well no not very good but the flour is very dark and often musty another day he would send for me and draw out a handful of dry rice do you call that properly boiled that is the way we boil rice in carolina each grain to be separated well i didn't wish mine to be boiled that way and so on through all the details of his food somebody he felt was responsible and unfortunately he determined that i should be the scapegoat his companion who lay by his side was even more disagreeable than he was he was a terrible pickle consumer and indulged in such extreme dissipation in that luxury that a check had to be put upon his appetite he attacked me on the subject the first chance he had and listened to my explanations without being convinced that pickles were luxuries to be eaten sparingly and used carefully perhaps he said at last sulkily we would have more pickles if you had not so many new dresses there was no doubt as to my having on a new calico dress but what that had to do with pickles was rather puzzling however that afternoon came a formal apology written in quite an elegant style and signed by every man in the ward except the pickle man in which they laid the fault of this cruel speech on the bad whiskey all this winter the city had been unusually gay besides parties private theatricals and tableaux were inaugurated wise and thoughtful men disapproved openly of this mad gaiety there was certainly a painful discrepancy between the excitement of music and dancing where one could hear in momentary lull the rumble of the ambulances carrying the wounded to the different hospitals young men advocated this state of affairs arguing that after the fatigues and dangers of a campaign in the field that some relaxation was necessary on their visit to the capital to thinking people this recklessness was ominous and by the end of february eighteen sixty five i began to feel that all was not as well as might be the incessant moving of troops through the city from one point to another showed weakness and the scarcity of rations issued told a painful tale people spoke of the inefficiency of the commissary general and predicted that the change made in that department would make all right soon afterwards the truth was told to me in confidence and under promise that it should go no further richmond was to be evacuated in a month or six weeks the time might be lengthened or shortened but the fact was established then came the packing up 
quietly but surely of the different departments our requisitions on the medical purveyor were returned unfilled and an order from the surgeon-general required that herbs should be used in the hospitals there was a great deal of merriment elicited over the yerb teas drawn during the time by command of the surgeons without any one knowing why the substitution had been made my mind had been much harassed as to what i should do but my duty seemed to be to remain with my sick as no general ever deserts his troops but to be left by all my friends amidst the enemy with every feeling antagonistic to them and the prospect of being turned away from the hospital the day after the city surrendered was not a cheering one even my home would no longer be open to me for staying with one of the cabinet ministers he would certainly leave with the government i was spared the necessity of decision by the sudden attack of general grant and the breaking of the confederate lines this necessitated the evacuation of richmond sooner than was expected and before i had time to think about the matter at all the government and all its train had vanished on the second april eighteen sixty five while the congregation of dr hodge's church in richmond were listening to the sunday sermon a messenger entered and handed a telegram to mr davis then president of the southern confederated states who rose immediately without any visible signs of agitation and left the church no great alarm was exhibited by the congregation though several members of the president's staff rose and followed till dr hodge brought the service to an abrupt close and informed his startled flock that richmond would probably be evacuated very shortly and they would only exercise a proper degree of prudence by going home immediately and preparing for that event this announcement though coming from such a reliable source hardly availed to convince the virginians that their beloved capital assailed so often defended so bravely surrounded by fortifications on which the engineering talents of their best officers had been expended was to be surrendered some months before a few admitted behind the veil of the temple had been apprised that the sacrifice was to be accomplished that general lee had again and again urged mr davis to give up this mecca of his heart to the interests of the confederacy and resign a city which required an army to hold it and pickets to be posted from thirty to forty miles around it weakening the comparatively small force of the army and again and again had the iron will triumphed and the foe beaten and discomfited retired for fresh combinations and fresh troops but the hour had come and the evacuation was but a question of time 
day and night the whistle of the cars told the anxious people that brigades were being moved to strengthen that point or defend this and no one was able to say where exactly any part of the army of virginia was situated that grant would make an effort to strike the south side railroad the main artery for the conveyance of food to the city everyone knew and that general lee would be able to meet the effort and check it everybody hoped and while this hope lasted there was no panic the telegram that reached mr davis that sunday morning was to the effect that the enemy had struck and on the weakest side of the confederate forces it told him to be prepared in case a repulse failed and two hours after came the fatal news that grant had forced his way through so that the city must be evacuated that night what is meant by that simple sentence evacuation of the city few can imagine the officers of the different departments hurried to their offices speedily packing up everything connected with the government the quartermasters and commissary stores were thrown open and thousands of the half-clad and half-starved people of richmond rushed to the scene delicate women tottered under the weight of hams bags of flour and coffee invalided officers carried away little articles of luxury for sick wives or children at home every vehicle was in requisition commanding fabulous prices and gold or silver were the only currency that would pass the immense concourse of strangers government officials speculators gamblers pleasure and profit lovers of all kinds that had been attracted to the capital were packing while those who had determined to stay and await the chances of war tried to look calmly on and draw courage from their faith in the justness of their cause the wives and families of mr davis and his cabinet had been fortunately sent away some weeks previously so no provision was made for the transportation of any particular class of people all the cars that could be collected were at the fredericksburg depot and by three o'clock the trains commenced to move the scene at the station was one of indescribable confusion no one could afford to leave any article of wear or household use going where they knew that nothing ever so trifling could be replaced baggage was almost as valuable as life and life was represented there by wounded or sick officers and men helpless women and children for all that could be with the southern army were at their post hour after hour passed and still the work went on the streets were strewn with torn papers records and documents of all descriptions and people still hurried by with the stores until then hoarded by the government and sutler shops the scream and whistle of the cars never ceased all that weary night and was perhaps the most painful sound to those left behind 
for all the city seemed flying but while the center of richmond was in the wildest confusion the suburbs were very quiet and even ignorant of what scenes were enacting in the heart of the city events crowded so quickly upon each other that no one had time to spread reports there was no change in the aspect of the city till near midnight and then the schoolship the patrick henry formerly the yorktown was fired at the wharf in rockets the extreme east end of the city her magazine blowing up seemed a signal for the work of destruction to commence explosions followed from all points the blowing up of the large magazine at drury's bluff was most terrific the warehouses of tobacco were fired next and communicated the flames to the adjacent houses and shops which were soon in a flame along main street the armory which was not intended to be burnt either caught accidentally or was fired by mistake the shells exploding and filling the air with their hissing sounds of horror no one knowing how far they would reach fortunately colonel gorgas had had the largest rolled into the canal before he left or the city would have been leveled with the dust no one slept during that night of horror for added to the present scenes were the anticipations of what the morrow would bring forth daylight dawned upon a wreck of desolation and destruction from the highest point of church hill and libby hill the eye could range over the whole extent of city and country the fire had hardly abated and the burning bridges were adding their flame and smoke to the scene a single faint explosion could still be heard at long intervals but the patrick henry was low to the water's edge and the drury but a column of smoke the whistle of the cars and the rushing of the laden trains still went on they had never ceased but clouds hung low and draped a great part of the scene as morning advanced before the last star had faded from the sky two carriages rolled along main street and passed through rockets carrying the mayor and corporation to the federal lines with the keys of the city and half an hour afterwards over to the east a single federal blue jacket rose above the hill and stood still with astonishment another and another sprung up as if out of the earth and still all was quiet at seven o'clock there fell upon the ear the steady clatter of horses hoofs and under chimborazo hill winding around rockets came a small but compact body of federal cavalrymen on horses in splendid condition riding closely and steadily along they were well mounted well accoutred well fed a rare sight in richmond streets the first of that army that for four years had knocked so helplessly at the gates of the southern capital end of section eight